This is Ken Trindell with your business podcast, The Good Book Review, Rich on Paper, Poor on Life by Philip McKernan. I discovered Philip McKernan by listening to a podcast. That would be the Mastermind Dinners podcast, or Mastermind Talks podcast by Jason Gaynard. And if you will Google or check out the show notes here, Philip McKernan, P-H-I-L-I-P, McKernan, M-C-K-E-R-N-A-N, and type in his name with Mastermind Talks Podcast, you will find SoundCloud.com, and it will show you that episode 28 is his recording from a Mastermind Dinners retreat. I've listened to this at least three times and shared it with lots of people. I would like to be more like Philip McKernan. He is kind of like a life coach more than a business coach. If you listen to that podcast, you will hear how clients may come to him and say, hey, I'd like to buy 50 rental properties so I can live the life of my dreams. He's like, what do you want to do? This guy was like, I want to travel the world and write books. He goes, okay, let's work on that instead of working on buying 50 rental properties. I I am very tempted at some point to go out to one of his either one-day retreats or something else. He also has an online class I should take at some point. Right now, I am currently reading, I want to say, four or five books. I went to a mastermind two-day event at Ty Lopez's place out in California, Los Angeles, or actually Beverly Hills, and hearing speakers recommend more books, I bought some. One on persuasion, I think it's called a little black book of persuasion. One on marketing, and let's see what else. I'm also reading... Gary Vaynerchuk's newest book, Ask Gary V. And I also have recently read The Jab, 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 Right Hook. I would suggest that if you are interested in understanding more about social media for your business, buy Gary Vaynerchuk's, that's V-A-Y-N-E-R-C-H-U-C-K. Buy his latest two books, Jab, 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 Right Hook, and his latest one. They are good. Even though I know a bit about social media and social marketing, Man, he just has some great points in there. His second book, the Ask Gary V book, is very easy to read in that he's simply asking, answering questions he's answered probably on his YouTube channel. I'd say it's probably faster to read his book than to actually try to watch. I don't know if it's 100 episodes or 200 episodes he has out there, but you could also do that. He also expands on some thoughts there. All right, getting back to this book, Philip McKernan wrote, Rich on Paper, Poor on Life. A little bit of his backstories. He was quite successful in real estate, and he also partnered with his brother for a coffee company overseas, which is, I want to say, he's from Ireland. Yes, that's the Irish accent he has. And although he was quite successful money-wise, he was poor on life is what he's really getting at. So his big push is to have a happy life, to really go after what's in your soul, what's your calling, more so than just thinking, hey, I've got to go out here and make all this money. I've got to do this and do that to get there. And I just love that. I love listening to that over and over again. I like reading the book. The book is basically a lot of stories to drive some points home. And we're going to go through quite a few of these quotes here. It looks like I highlighted 187 passages and added four notes. If you do Kindle, if you're on Amazon, you can probably pull up my notes. I believe all these things are public. Hopefully I've made those things public. So rich on paper, poor on life. I am Kinch Rendell. That's K-I-N-C-H-R-E-I-N-D-L. And you can go to yourbusinesspodcast.com for show notes. All right, let's start this off with the first one I highlighted. 
Many, if not most, people keep their truth inside for fear of looking stupid or because they believe they have nothing to add. How many people have a hidden desire to write, sing, paint, get involved in politics, or start a business? How many of them don't get involved because they don't believe they're good enough? I believe the majority of people feel this way. They won't speak up or act up as long as they place a low value upon themselves. And that's that, that's something to ask yourself. Is that why is that why you don't do what you kind of want to do? Is that why even though you had a calling to do some things, you didn't do them? You haven't started that business yet? A low value, just thinking you're not good enough. What I can tell you from what I've seen, especially at this mastermind, just realize so many things are possible. The key is taking action. The marketing book I'm reading right now, taking action is the thing most marketers want you to do. In reality, you want to have yourself take action toward what you want. And that's the big key is start taking action. I've been doing this three steps a day challenge for probably 14 or 15 days now where every day I want to do three steps. I want to do a little journaling. I want to write down two or three tips or two or three next steps or action items. I'm going to spend 10 minutes on each to move projects forward. If you only have one major goal, spend 30 minutes in 10-minute increments doing next steps. Break them down into that small steps and make some progress every day. And the third part of that is to declutter or clean up something. I used to think that's not important, but in reality, hey, Shailene Johnson kept driving home. You should declutter something. And there's lots I can declutter from email to my office to my truck to my garage. You name it, I can probably declutter. All right, back to the book. So let's take some action there. He has, he says, our biggest fear, the truth. The next one says, finding one's voice is a process that takes time. Life can beat us down. Many of us endure, year, endure years of being told we shouldn't believe in ourselves. And that's probably the thing. I think school and everything else teaches us to go get a job, not to follow our aspirations and dreams. We're looking at unschooling our kids, and I'm having to laugh because I kept saying, we should homeschool our kids maybe. What school can do to kids is kind of just fit them into a little box and say, hey, you're going to do this and do this, sit down and do this, read. Instead of saying, oh, you're interested in what? You're interested in chickens. Oh, let's go learn a lot about chickens. You're interested in a wolf that lives in the Arctic or something. Let's go research that and learn about that and have them truly have them follow their passions, what they're interested in, and help them learn around that instead of just memorizing something. So think back. Were you ingrained with some things from your parents, from some mentors, from teachers that are kind of holding you back? That are fitting you into a box that you don't feel like you should really belong in? Next thought from the book. Fear of speaking in front of others is not our greatest common fear. Our greatest common fear is that we don't believe that we have that what we have to say matters. In this way, the fear of public speaking stems from a fear of not being loved. Let me repeat, he says. When we say we're scared of public speaking, what we're really saying is that we are scared of making a mistake, of being judged. Deep down, we're afraid of not being loved. And he hits on something that's come up in the last couple of months with a friend from Toastmasters. She keeps saying, it's what he's saying, you should get your story out there. Things you've struggled with but overcome are hugely helpful for other people. What is your story? What are your dreams? Talk about them. Share. What are your mistakes? What are your mishaps? 
Share those things. I can tell you, from listening to Ty Lopez and James Altucher a lot, they talk about their mistakes or their low points in life over and over again. Now, they've rebounded at times from those, so they can also talk about that. But it's crazy. They're like broken records. They share that. They share that. And people can then relate, I believe, because so many of us have downtimes. You'll look on Facebook and you'll swear that everything is rosy with your friends and everything's great and fine. But in reality, most of us have something else we can share at times. I know for me, I'm not sure if I just credit this to my brother who passed away. Well, he was 18. I was 20-something. But I took from that very bad point in my life that, hey, he was always having fun and I would dedicate myself to not sweating the small things, to, to really living life, having fun, and basically the little negative things, trying to let them go as quickly as possible. What is your story? What have you overcome? What tragedies have hit your life, your family, and have you survived and hopefully become stronger? Found some gifts in it. Found something to take away from it. Share those stories. Let people know. Back to the book. I admit there have been times I've done exactly that, but it wasn't until I started speaking vulnerably that I felt fulfillment from speaking. So once again, he started sharing his stories, sharing where he really was. Like, hey, I might be successful, but guess what? I wasn't happy. I wasn't living the life I wanted to live. He says, in spite of the fact that we fear we won't be loved, speaking our truth is the is one of the most important things we can do to put ourselves on the path towards the authentic love, towards authentic love. Sharing. People can res respond to you, can respect you when they know that you are speaking from the heart, you're telling them what you think, what you feel, you're trying to help people. Once again, I'm very impressed at how he, as a coach, says, I don't care what people think per se, I care about helping them more. He really wants to help people, and not just with superficial things. It sounds like a lot of people come to him with some kind of superficial goal that doesn't really relate to their life. And he has some good ways to kind of help people get back to, what do you really care about? He has some exercises in that talk you can listen to that he has people write things down. Has you score your life, like really judge yourself. Hey, how's my love life? How's this? How's business? And kind of look and take, take note, take account, do accounting of that. Another quote. The voice I speak of is our intuition. He's a big believer that we all have an intuition we should be listening to, and it will guide us and point us in the right direction. I can also, from my perspective, think that we might have covered that up a lot. We might be so good at pushing away and pushing away and turning away from that that we may not be recognizing that much anymore. He has a bunch of questions that I'm going to paraphrase right here where he's asking... Am I really who I see in the mirror? Am I really this one-dimensional person? Do I really have all these wrinkles? Have I really met myself to really know myself? And then here's the quote at the end of all these questions. What if there's someone within me that I've yet to meet who is better looking than I am, smarter than I believe I am, and more famous than I could ever be? Would you like to meet him? That's what I feel like he's doing for people, especially on the coaching side with his books, with his programs. He's helping you meet the real you and what the real you could be, the possibilities that are out there for you, for us, for all of us. That's greater than we really realize. And I can relate this back to being at that mastermind. I really was going there and want to continue going there every month 
because, as Ty Lopez says, Hank, do you have mentors and do you have people that are above you, way above you? Well, what I realized there, seeing 30 people, all different aged, many of them, let's say in my mind anyway, were above me in one way or another. It was motivating. And it was also motivating to realize that person doesn't seem any smarter, brighter, better looking, etc. But yet they're achieving all of this because they put their time and effort into it. They've been studying, researching, learning. Whoever you look at that's successful, realize you have a good chance of also being successful. Maybe not in the same way Arnold Schwarzenegger was, let's say lifting weights and getting huge. But there's so many possibilities out there for you. Have a little bit of confidence and belief that you can be. And once again, the action... The action is what matters. Start taking that action. The next quote, success is manufactured, uh, success in manufactured in the mind while happiness is cultivated in the soul. Success is manufactured in the mind while happiness is cultivated in the soul. So your mind thinks you're successful by setting some arbitrary number. Hey, I'm a millionaire. Hey, I make 50000 a year. I make 100000 a year. It's all in the mind. But where is happiness, does he say? It's in your soul. It's lining up with your with your soul, with your passions, with your dreams. Getting back to those things and lining up with them. Next, individuals were ignoring their own truths. Individuals had lost our own voices. In some, we got greedy. We forgot what was important. We chose gadgets over happiness, fancy over fulfillment. I think so many of us have probably lost little pieces of our own truth. But he's got good points here. Gadgets over happiness. Fancy work fulfillment. Something I'm trying to apply to my life and my family's life is experiences over gadgets. Taking the vacations over buying something else. Experiences over things. And I've got to apply that to my life. I like to buy too many old junk cars. Not not necessarily helpful at this point. There's something I need to declutter and get rid of because they're projects I don't want to mess with. Do you have any of those things in your life? Can you get back to your own truths? Not gadgets, but fulfillment. Fulfillment in other ways. Maybe something that lasts a little longer, a little more memorable. And here he talks about his story, about his kind of awakening realignment, I would say. He says, looking back, I was one of the lucky ones. I managed to escape the worst of the financial carnage. What I didn't escape was the loss of my peace of mind. In the pursuit of money and growth for growth's sake, I did what most of my countrywomen and men did. I ignored passion and happiness in my own life and pursued wealth with the naive assumption that happiness followed achievement. And take note of that sentence because the implication is that achievement is a prerequisite of happiness is common and dead wrong. So he's saying, reread that last one. I ignored passion and happiness in my own life and pursued wealth with the naive assumption that happiness followed achievement. And I take that. It's Make sure you're having fun on the journey, on the road to achievement, in the now, in the here and now. In as many moments as you can, make sure that's the joyful part that you're happy that you're even on the path, you're happy that you're pursuing something, you're happy you're taking action towards something you want. Maybe it's outside of your job and your career, but it's something you want to do from volunteering, helping others, starting your own business, starting your own blog or website, whatever it is. 
have some fun doing that. I, I One thing I harp on is, is TV giving you fulfillment? Does it make you happy? If not, switch some of the time over to something else, something you've always wanted to do, like he says, painting, writing, reading, acting, being a comedian. Who knows? Just get back and practice it. Try it. Little short one, he says, using intuition to find my way out. So aligning with your intuition. He aligned with his intuition. What kept maybe coming back up in his mind over and over, maybe something from years past, some dream you've pushed back and keep saying no to. Use it to kind of find a new way. Find something to be taking action on. He says, I can help others out of the cycle of being rich on paper but poor on life. There you go, the title of the book. That's what he can help people do, he says. This next quote reminds me of, I think, a bit from the speech where he says, I'm not a tree hugger. I'm not going to tell you to give away all your money. In the book he says, to be clear, I'm not against financial wealth. What I'm against is sacrificing peace of mind for wealth. If wealth is to be sought, it must be sought as a healthy byproduct of a life well lived. Too many people pay nothing more than lip service to well-being in favor of wealth building. Instead of seeking happiness now, they believe in happiness when. What he's saying is when they accomplish something, they'll be happy. What I'm thinking about is wealth. I think where I've become wealthiest is in controlling my time or having more free time. And make sure you think about that. When you're thinking about wealth, include it in all areas of your life, not just monetary. Love, happiness, relationships with other people, whatever you like to spend time doing, family time, time giving back, time doing anything you think of doing. Make sure you kind of check in and say, hey, do I just have wealth goals? Do I just have some numbers? That reminds me that your brain doesn't really understand a million dollars. It understands how you would feel if all your bills were paid off and you had money in the bank and you had money to take trips to live a certain lifestyle. But just saying, I want to be a millionaire, I don't think that's really going to push most people is what I keep reading and hearing. And it makes sense. I want to be a billionaire. How many people can differentiate between someone that is a millionaire, a, let's say, 10 millionaire, 20 millionaire, 30 millionaire, 50, 100 millionaire, to a billionaire? Um, I can't really tell you the difference. At some point there, you can own your own jet or two or three. But besides that, a lot of the studies I've seen said people that make 150 grand a year aren't much different than someone that makes five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars a year. What I would tell you is, from my experience, the people that have enough money to achieve what they want lifestyle-wise and have free time, that's the big difference to me. That's been my driving goal for many, many, many a year. And that's that's one reason I do the podcast. One major reason is to tell people you can have more free time if you set the business up correctly, you do things correctly, you have partners, let's say, you have employees, you systematize things enough, or you have passive income. You can get more of your life back, your time back. Coming back to the podcast, or to the book, here he's talking about what he's seen with different clients. Poor health is the price of eating unhealthy food, and poor relationships are the price of failing to love and cherish our spouses and ourselves. Seeking riches at the expense of well-being exacts an immense cost to the spirit of every individual who tries it. You simply can't put well-being on the back burner and expect to be well. You've got to work at things is what he's saying to me anyway. You've got to pay attention. You've got to work at all these little bits of your life. 
as Tai Lopez would say, the good life, health, wealth, wealth, love, and happiness. Put a little bit of effort in all of those. James Altucher says the same thing. you got to try every day. Let's just be 1% better. Try to be a little bit better. For me, do one more push-up. Get one more sprint in. Clean up one thing. Declutter something, as Shailene Johnson would say. Journal. Brain dump. Write something down. Do a little bit extra if I can. Get out one more podcast. What, what is it going to be for you? What actions will you take? Hopefully actions that are towards something that, once again, you will enjoy the actions to be enjoying the moment, to be enjoying the journey. He goes on to say, however, their deepest and most heartfelt goals almost always include some combination of the following. Family, spending more time with kids or parents, spirituality, feeling a greater connection, contribution, giving back, time or money. So do you have goals like that? Some of those you could focus on that probably add more to your life. More spirituality, family time, contribution. I mean, how much, how many of us really think, oh, I have the biggest, best goal ever to make more money. Once again, it's not so much the money. I think it's what feelings you get having the money are actually doing something with the money. Giving, sharing with your family, buying the experiences, freeing up some of your time. Think about that when you set your goals. He goes on to say, That's why my work focuses on relationships. More precisely, I help my clients focus on their relationships to the key elements of their lives. This strategy is based on the knowledge that every person's personal path to well-being is through improved relationships, whether it be a relationship with oneself or with others or with the work we do. This reminds me when he asks a client, how her relationship is with her kids and she kind of glosses over it and she's like hey my relationship's great and that's where he asks you to judge things like that and then she comes back and says oh my relationship isn't that great huh and he goes yeah no it's relationships think about how many of us that's what really makes you happy I can think back to times I remember back in let's say even high school when my relationship with my friends changed because they all got girlfriends and I didn't have one relationships, relationships with your kids and your spouses. I don't think anything can make you probably feel better than to have good communication and relationships. So working on that is something he points out right here. His work focuses on that. Probably even focuses on relationships to things like money, time. He says time and money excuses are never the real excuse. Never. He says, unfortunately, I often hear about these core desires expressed along with a belief that they are connected to massive wealth. That's because people think they need millions of dollars to achieve what they really want. Really? Probably not. Once again, we just assume, hey, millions of dollars to do that. Millions of dollars to feel secure. Millions of dollars to retire. I don't think that's usually true. And he points it out over and over again. He says, the head is where we think we want something. The heart is where we know we need something. Wow, he's all about feelings. He doesn't saying the word feelings all the time these days. Kind of kidding, but kind of not. My wife's probably like, what? You don't know anything about feelings. Another quote, he's, he says, a very good number of my clients will explain to me how their job or business is their passion. 
It's this experience that's led me to believe passion is a misunderstood concept. I noted, Interesting, I know that my main profit center is not my passion. Therefore, I spend time doing things like this podcast. To me, it's like giving back, it's encouraging, it's trying to help other people. How about for you? Is where you make most of your money, is that your passion? Have you thought to branch out and try some other things, try some other ways to meet some other people, do some more networking, kick off another business, start a podcast, start a blog? It's pretty easy these days. There are YouTube videos to show you how to do most anything out there. To really check yourself, is your job your passion? And realize if it's not, there are other possibilities. That's where you just have to have a little bit of confidence, a little bit of encouragement maybe. Maybe get some mentors. Be around some people that are doing some of the things you wish you have a yearning to do. He goes on to say, I say this because the same people who tell me that their job or business is their passion will, in the next breath, tell me they're going to quit their job or business the moment they make enough money so that they can do something else. That's an easy question. If you won the lottery, would you keep doing your job? What would you keep doing in your life? Or would you add some other passions? That can really help you kind of get down to, ah, is this really a passion? Would I keep doing it? A hobby? What would I pursue if I could do anything? If I could help anybody, what would I help them do? He follows up with that saying, what many people don't acknowledge is the disconnect. They don't get it. That they're really just going to work for the money. Or at least what they think is the best opportunity to make money with their time. Here's a long quote. To be clear, a passion is something you do for free if you had to. It's something you'd like to do for the rest of your life, no matter what. Indeed, a passion might cost you money rather than make you money. But why do so many people want to quit their job or business if it's their passion? The answer is simple. They're not passionate about their job or business after all. In fact, most people don't know what they're passionate about. They can identify the things they really want. Family time, contribution, experiences, spirituality, but not their passion. This leads people to try to turn their work into their passion. I don't know how many of us have done that. I'm trying to think if I try to turn, let's say, programming into a passion. I've definitely thought, oh, I could do this and do that programming-wise, but lately I'm like, I should pay somebody else to do that for me actually get it done and to spend my time coming up with more ideas, doing more podcasts. Because really I'm realizing this is more of my passion. I realize a passion for me is to help people one way or another. From my hobbies of autocrossing to business to just anything I can help people with. It's it, I, I get such a rush myself out of sitting down with people starting businesses lately. And saying, hey, think about this, think about that, let me show you how to do this. Sharing the knowledge as I'm reading different books. What is it for you? Take a step. Take an action. Take an action step. Write down two or three little bitty steps you can do to move toward that. I'm just going to keep saying action over and over because that book I've been reading points out what I started saying in this podcast three years ago. It's all about taking some action and then repeating, repeating, repeating. That's who gets ahead. He says, I start to see a shift in my clients when they bring those things that they love to the forefront of their thoughts and actions. There it goes again. Actions. This is the process of becoming rich on life instead of just rich on paper. 
Anyone who looks within will find that their heart longs for simplicity, passion, love, and meaning. They regret not practicing their art, spending time with their family, or helping others more. Now I'm thinking to a dad I know. I wonder how many people are out there just working and working, and somehow convince themselves that they need to work that much. They need to do that. I just don't buy it. I, I know my dad thought I was a little nutty and always out there thinking wise. It's like, what? what? Why are you doing that? You should just focus on your and work more. No. That's why I saw my dad work and work. He worked until he died. He worked until he couldn't work anymore. And I don't really... I mean, I guess I realized he was a tax accountant. And his passion probably was talking to people and maybe helping them understand things. So in that regard, probably had some fun. But tax season did not ever seem like fun. Did he convince himself that it was a passion because it could lead him to talking to people and being a people person? Which sounds kind of weird being a tax accountant. Maybe. Maybe not. little summary he has here. He says, this book gets you to stop and ask better questions. Then you will be better off than the many millions of people around the world who continue to think money might buy them freedom. How many of us really think that well, see, I think at a certain point, what's the average income? 40, 50 grand in America? And yet at 150 grand a year, you can do quite a bit if you have the free time, if you're not working two jobs to do that. But what if you were able to live somewhere? Let's say you're living in the city right now, paying a lot for rent, but you could move out to the country and start a small farm and make 70 or 80 grand a year and have lots of time out there on the farm, in the fields. I don't know how many people have that passion, but I know that people have pulled that off. I know people have pulled off making that much money in a city, in Canada. They've done it. Urban farming. Curtis Stone. There's so many examples, I think, where people say, I like to take photos, but I can't make any money. You can find somebody out there doing probably exactly what you would like to do, making a living doing it. So just take some time. Check them out. Do some searches. Find out if you can be mentored by them. Did they write a book? Do they have a blog? Can you learn? Can you take a few steps and try to sell something? Try to bring something in? Try to get a gig? I like what he says here. The deeper truth of their lives is not found in what people say. It's in what they don't say. It's those silent spaces I'm interested in. I am too. I, that, it's so easy, once again, on social media. He had said right before this, I didn't say, the anti-social media. Because you don't really usually hear, unless somebody's always complaining, you don't know what's necessarily going on. It seems like everybody shares all their wins and not all their downs unless they only share down things. He says, The ugly truth of social media is that it magnifies the opportunities to compare ourselves against others, typically in a negative light. But comparing ourselves to others is not a phenomenon that started with social media. He says, Hope you are half as happy as you pretend you are on Facebook every day. That reminds me, at some point he has, once again, in, that, in his talk on Mastermind Talks podcast, he has you rate all these different areas of your life. Do that. Take a little accounting. So many people have said to do that. I think Shailene Johnson had us do that as well in her class that I took online, Smart Success. He says each person at that workshop had a deeply held belief that once their goal was realized, they'd be happy. Think about that for a moment. P 
People believed they couldn't be happy until a goal was realized. That concept foreshadows the harm in this way of thinking. If everything good lies in the future, what are we to do with the present? Coming back to living in this moment, being present, enjoying it. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of going, hey, I'm going to listen to something and be around the family. Mm, that really doesn't work so well. The wife reminds me quite often. Be on the laptop. I did sit here today, spring break, when we get the big blizzard, and I could tell what the kids were doing and chat with them and interact with them some while trying to get some work done. But really, can you make sure in the moment you're having fun in more and more moments, just more and more along the journey? And I think once that journey is something you're trying to achieve that you care about, it'll be much more fulfilling. More happiness will be there. A bit more of what he thinks about the book. He says, this book is not about giving up on dreams and aspirations. It is all about taking responsibility to identify the real meaning behind the things we say we want. It's like a check yourself. Do you really want what you keep saying you want? Or do you want some feelings? Do you want some kind of feeling of achievement? That's what I realize. I kind of want to think I use whatever little gifts I have that if I can help and teach other people and inspire them to do that. I get such a kick with people like, thanks for doing that. Thanks for explaining that to me. Thanks for taking the time. He says, I stood by and watched millions of my countrymen and countrywomen become rich on paper while ignoring the things they, that could make them truly happy. He says, I'm not suggesting they've arrived. It's not possible to be done working on ourselves. We can only seek to improve from one day to the next. What really matters is that they had the courage to change the courage to grow. The courage to take some action steps, basically. Let's see, Shailene Johnson would say to go to therapy, to challenge yourself, to seek improvement. He says, what did he do? He faced the truth. He says, I share this example of, what is it, Padrig, to illustrate, oh no, I'm mispronouncing the golfer's name. Oh, and because I looked at the name, I can't pronounce it. So he talks quite a bit about um, golfers because his dad is a golf coach that's coached some of the current golfers on the tour. He says, so he showed an example to illustrate how many people get stuck on this first level of self-growth by refusing to see the truth of their current situation. And now I'm trying to remember, I know at least in the talk, I want to say he, talk, he brought up two different times about golfers, how things shattered them. One was simply from a guy seeing his own golf swing. He thought it was majestic, he said, until he saw it and realized, wow, it's terrible. I have to rebuild it and make it better if I think I'm going to be a world-class golfer. And the other one was one of the golfers that choked at a major. Major tournament, he was leading going into the final day. And he goes, man, I went and studied and tried to figure out what in the heck, how did this guy overcome this to come back and win the next major? Because so many people, when they break under that pressure in some high-profile thing like that, they just don't come back. They don't make a good comeback. And he said this guy went to Haiti, I think it was, and donated his time helping people. And that put his life in perspective that he's playing a game of golf. So many of us, I think, are putting way too much pressure, just like a golfer might. I lost this major big tournament. Oh, I can't believe that's the biggest fallback crush ever crash. I, I just imploded. And then you realize how good your life probably really is. 
especially if you can compare it to so many people that are struggling around there in the world, all the opportunities you have. That's what he points out to people. The opportunities are there to follow your passions and your dreams, your intuition. Let's get back to his quotes. Finding your voice. Finding your own voice, never mind your own path, is hard work in a world shouting at you from all directions to perform and conform. The world wants you and me to step into line with the rest of society. And that's something I, I guess I somewhat pride myself on is thinking, I don't care what society would say. At this point, I don't care about college degrees. I have some. Yes, they probably helped me on my path. Although I kind of wonder how much different would my path be if I didn't have those? If I started my own, let's say, web hosting company way back then when it was all new. <laughs> Something funny a guy pointed out to on some YouTube videos he sent me that <laughs> pretty much all the computer people in the world that created computers, created Windows, they all dropped out of college. Michael Dell made a bunch of computers, still makes servers and computers, dropped out of college. Kind of crazy when you realize that a lot of the most successful people in the world, they dropped out or didn't go to college. They followed their own path of learning and knowledge, which brings me back to the thoughts of unschooling. If you can learn to learn, that's what I think school school is really about. Learn to learn and learn to love to learn. Have that as a habit, something ingrained in you that you like to do. There you go. Philip says, in our society, the line between who we are and what we do has been blurred, if not erased. Many people, if not most, define themselves by what they do professionally. What they do becomes who they are. That's where I like, when people ask me what I do, I start telling them I do all kinds of things. That's kind of like a little pride badge I wear. Oh, I autocross, and I farm, and I homestead, and yes, I run a computer web hosting company, and I podcast once again on another show. I help coach businesses and people running small business. Think about that. Do you tie yourself only to, if I say, well, hey, what do you do? Tell them next time, hey, I play golf, or I mentor kids, or I'm a parent. Do some of that. Just, just throw it out there. Or I'm a photographer at heart, or I'm an artist. Even if you don't sell any your art, try that out. Be a nice little change. You might start re-identifying with who you are as to what you really care about. He says, I believe that in the developed world, the 80-20 rule can be applied to the three elements of people's lives. Work, self, and others. He says, the real issue is fear. We are afraid of judgment. Indeed, we crave acceptance to the to an unhealthy point. We know there's a spark deep inside, something the world hasn't yet seen. But the fear of not fitting it in is so or not fitting in is so strong we'd rather put up with the status quo than run the risk of being happy. If you don't believe me, ask yourself where you've been settling. Are you doing the work you dreamed of as a child? Do your primary relationships resemble the relationships you want? Are you as healthy as you imagined? Are you as vital? Do you find satisfaction and joy in your friendships and family relationships? Wow. I don't want to answer all those. And that's not nice. But really, 
it's like taking taking you know, judging your life. Where are you at? Where do you want to be? And noticing what, what the ones that are different, and putting action, putting effort in there. He says, I have chosen stories that demonstrate how this kind of change is the organic outcome of a natural process that begins when individuals commit to leading a more authentic life. He says, you want to be the person who listens to the whisper of your soul and takes action on the transformative wisdom of its message. I'm not even, I think maybe we're a third through this book. There are some quotes I put on Instagram that were very popular. We haven't gotten to those yet, but they're... There were some good ones in there. Once again, on Instagram, I think we're almost at 11,000 followers now. Basically, five or six positive quotes and thoughts from people each day out there. That's one thing I tell you Instagram is kind of really nice for. I feel like on Facebook, you get a lot of the political stuff and people are commenting, going back and forth. Or on Instagram, it's much more just, hey, you can follow some people that have some positive sayings, some positive tips for, let's say, Instagram or something else. And it's fun just looking at photos or looking at text quotes. I quite enjoy it. He quotes Oscar Wilde saying, Be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. And at this point, we're at part one, work in the book. Doing versus being happy. This next one's kind of hard-hitting. Philip says, I don't believe any human being or any human deserves to be happy, but most people think it's a God-given right. This sense of entitlement dilutes the authentic drive for happiness. I find it fascinating that people who spend eight hours a day doing work they do not believe in wonder why they don't feel complete. Often I see people putting their mortgage ahead of meaning and justifying it to themselves like only humans can do best. Or only humans, yep, can do best. Yeah, I think so many of us just kind of like buy into some dream that's not really our dream. Putting the mortgage ahead of meaning, justifying it. Entitlement, thinking we're entitled to be happy, instead of realizing, hey, if we're on the right journey, we will be happy. Much more happiness there. Philip says, I believe our work must be an extension of what we believe, not who we think we are. And he says, talking business, or taking business to the next level, many people spend more time, money, and energy trying to grow their net worth than they do on their self-worth calls those unauthentic external goals. Let's repeat that. Many people spend more time, money, and energy trying to grow their net worth than they do on their self-worth. At one point he points out in here, some lady wanted to double her revenue and income. And he's like, okay, what is it going to take to do that? Oh, you're going to hire some people and rent an office and drive there instead of working from your office. And he said he realized, or how had her realized, that it made no sense. Her lifestyle and freedom she had would be shot just for some reason to think, hey, everything has to grow. Everything has to expand. Have you done that with your career? Hey, I've got to move up, move up, move up. Oh, I've got to work more. I've got more more priorities, more things I have to do at work now. Hey, if it's your passion, great. But what he's saying here is so many people, they're just kind of pointing the wrong direction, buying into a dream that's not really theirs. He says, the ugly truth is that many people chase goals that are not theirs, and what's the point of chasing someone else's or society's goals? That, that reminds me back to the movie Fight Club. I went and watched it twice in the same week it came out, or the same week I saw it at least. 
man, I could buy in. I loved it how it kind of sucked me in at that point in my life to think, oh, yeah, it'd be so cool to get the nice place, nice little condo or apartment downtown and buy all the cool stuff. And then the movie flips it and kind of lets you know that that's not what they were after at all. Like, that was the exact opposite. All this monetary stuff and money stuff and finances and lending. Totally opposite. But I could have bought into that. I really, really could have. And yet now in my life, I would be, if I had to take a full-time job or, let's say, sell my home and go live somewhere much cheaper, I'd probably be much happier and think my family would be happier moving out to the country somewhere and making a lot less money, but working more off the land or earning more off the land, just for the lifestyle, the freedoms of lifestyle and time. Back to Philip's book, this guided conversation helped Emma understand she already had something greater than what the next level offered. Her quest for more money now threatened her happiness, fulfillment, meaning, and peace of mind. That's actually what I was quoting about the lady who wanted to double her income. You gotta really look at that. Are you setting some financial goals that are really gonna wreck some other things? Like your peace of mind, your happiness, your free time, your commute time? He says, first, do not trade in a lifestyle you love for a lifestyle that you would love a lot less. Maybe you already have a dream lifestyle. Philip says, as humans, we're masters of two things, complicating our lives and justifying why we did it. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. I love to chase shiny objects that seem like the next, next great best thing or the next project. Or, hey, I can buy that because it's a good deal. Maybe you can relate at some point. Philip says, when the owner does more of what they love, when you grow your business by outsourcing the parts you love, you risk finding yourself tied to the work you dislike, perhaps even detest. That's what a lot of other people I can relate to say, work through your strengths. So if you're really good at something, stick with that. The owner-founder of Craigslist, Craig, I'm pretty sure he's not the CEO. Not what he loved doing. That's what I had to come to realize is, for some of my business ventures and thoughts, hire a CEO. Ty Lopez points it out. He goes, I'm often not the CEO. That's not what I'm best at. I know someone that's better at it. Put somebody else in those roles. If you still own the company, you can still control things. But work through your strengths and through what you like. Now, if you don't like your strengths, well, okay, find something else to work on. But really, work through your strengths and things you really enjoy. Philip says, what I really want you to think about is the immense power power in asking the simple question, why? Why do you want this? Why do you do that? Why do you do what you do? At this point, we're up to chapter two in the book. I'm hoping I'm enticing you enough to want to read the book. Check out the Kindle version or buy the paperback. Chapter two is giving up your baby. The past has created the present, and the present is creating the future. He has Sir Walter Scott quote, Oh, what tangled webs we weave when we find we practice to deceive ourselves. A paragraph here. That tendency to put others on a pedestal compromises our ability to be real, and that reduces our ability to be vulnerable, even though it's essential to being authentic. I don't know if that fear of vulnerability 
has an evolutionary explanation in the basic fight-flight response of human beings, but I do know that fear is real. In the personal growth arena, it's the people who break through that barrier, the people who make the biggest changes in their lives, allow themselves to be vulnerable, to really put it out there, to share is what I take from that. Let people know where you're coming from, where you've been. What, what do you really care about? What do you really want to be doing? That, that That's helped me so many times in my life just to talk about things I'm interested in, things I'm thinking about, questions I have. Just sharing my thoughts with sometimes random people just because it seems right. Maybe it's intuition, trusting it, trusting that sharing is good. People don't care, they don't care. Philip says, when you believe another person or business can make you better by partnering or joining in with them, you risk undervaluing yourself. So he has an example in here where a lady partnered with somebody that ended up not good and she gave way too much of her company because she undervalued herself. I think so many of us do that in so many different aspects. It might be your salary at your job. But even more so, it might be in what your true worth would be if you went off on your own and tried your own business. Tried your own consulting. Back to what Philip says. Whenever you put someone else on a pedestal, regardless of how much height you give that podium, the end structure is lopsided. It's bizarre when you think about it. Why would you not be as good as someone else? It's bizarre, but so widespread. Anybody that you see as successful, realize I think you can be there too. Maybe you're successful. you can be successful in a different way through your own strengths, but I think you can be there. I put a note here. Do you look at mentors and teachers as someone you can be like? Can you emulate somebody you look up to on that pedestal? Philip says, do you ever regard other people and assume you could never do what they do? And I noted, not really. I said, only if I think about playing some pro sport or I'm not as big as they are. That's where for myself I realized when I wrote that comment about, oh, okay, usually I think I can do what everybody else can do. I give myself a break. I was never going to be Shaquille O'Neal. I'm not that size. Never was going to be. But having enough confidence, I, that's one thing. Maybe you have to fake it till you make it. I, I really don't know why I have the confidence I have. I kind of don't think I was all that confident as a kid, let's say in school, high school, or sports. But at some point in my life, it snapped. I realized, hey, when I played a whole bunch of basketball in the gym at college or colleges, I got pretty good at that. So I made a connection of putting in the work and reaping the rewards or the benefits of getting better, of achieving more. And I kind of did the same thing in business when I saw people and worked closely with them and realized, hey, they were just people. And some of them were even lazy and still were doing really well because they took some action steps that other people didn't take. They started companies. They partnered with people. That's what I realized. And that's what I copied and emulated. So have that confidence that, hey, if somebody else did it, I can do it too. Or I should be saying, if you see somebody else do it, you realize you can also do it. Where are we at over here? He says, Philip says, well, I didn't understand it at first. That act assumed I needed those people to succeed or further my career. Sometimes you do need people and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you just need the confidence, I would say. And the confidence comes from taking that action, taking some steps, 
back. Philip McKernan said, I was leading the group through a simple exercise where I asked the group to consider who in their life they had on a pedestal. So that's a good little exercise for yourself. Who do you put on a pedestal? Is there really something they do that you can't do? Another quote, real passion for business. When it comes to the work you do, please don't confuse excitement for passion. It could cost you your health, relationships, and your peace of mind. So he talks quite a bit about this. People get excited and they think it's a passion. I would explain that's when I look at shiny objects or shiny business opportunities or auctions or whatever kind of takes my attention for a little bit. Think, oh, they made a lot of money doing that. I want to do that too. That's just excitement. That's not really a passion. And I'm so glad I've realized that. Because it's so easy for me to get distracted by things that just get me excited for a little bit. Like, oh, that seems like a great opportunity to make some money. Well, that just happens to be because I've been ingrained for some reason since I was a kid to think, oh, it's fun to make money. Well, in reality, it's exciting to make money different ways, but I'm learning what my passions are and aren't and how to tie making money into my passions. That's what I want all of us to figure out. That's what I think Philip keeps going over and over about. Back to his book. What you need to understand is that when it comes to work, many pretend, but few actually live their passion. That's what is so refreshing to see someone who is truly passionate about his or her work. I find it often shows up with entrepreneurs who enjoy the core activity of their business. That reminds me of Joel Salatin. Ty Lopez often says, do you wake up giddy in the morning? Do you wake up ready to go? He says Joel Salton does. He lived with him for two years, I want to say. He said that guy jumped out of bed excited. I'm actually thinking this next week I may fly back out there because Joel's going to be at Ty Lopez's conference. And it's uh, I do look up to the guy. I I love what he's done with food, producing things naturally off the land while improving the land instead of creating deserts, let's say. Like cows should actually eat grass. Chickens should be on grass every day. I'm not sure what I'll do to meet him, but they, they I just keep hearing he's such a great guy. And my wife's even say, hey, go out there and see him. Go see him speak and see if you can meet him. So very well, once again, for me, mentors. I want to be, a, be mentored by these people by reading their books, which I've read as books, by being around them, by seeing how they are. By being around people, come back to this quote, who enjoy the core activity of their business. That's what he seems to say. That's where he's seen the real happiness. He says, Excitement is a freeing break from the norm that's described with words to try and capture its essence. Passion is a part of your soul which ignites a fire in your belly resulting in a spark in your eyes. That's one thing else I guess I've noticed people telling me. They can tell I'm passionate about something and just the energy. <laughs> something I just heard today on a mastermind call. Success energy. Do you notice when you're around people that just kind of have a success energy? They're kind of high on life. They're kind of high on what they're doing. Hopefully you can do that too. And I think it's just a matter of talking about what you're into, what you're checking out, what your passions are. And, and I think passions at least... In my mind at this point, I think they may change over time. Definitely what you're into, let's say hobby-wise or I can think farming-wise, things may change from year to year as you learn new things like, oh, man, composting is so great. And you, next year might be worm composting is the best ever. 
There might be aquaculture. But all these different things, I think when you're talking about things you're really excited about, it just shows. It's like a success energy. Uh, maybe a passion energy that just kind of it rubs off, or just expands and goes out and affects other people in a positive way. And hopefully encourages them to share as well. Oh yeah, it's, this next quote makes me remember that he's dyslexic. He says, rather than admit my disability, I put on masks to disguise the problem and my fear because I believed it was unteachable. I allowed them to think the same. So he had a, he just didn't feel good about himself. Kind of looked down. He allowed other people to think that as well, that he was unteachable. Just, I mean, I, maybe some of you are listening going, oh yeah, I'm dyslexic and yeah, I always felt dumb and stupid. There may be other people that just thought they were slow when really your best way to learn wasn't in a classroom. Maybe it was audio only and not having to read books. Maybe you have a kid like that or you're going to have a kid that they feel like they're behind or you think they're behind because of some of that. When in reality, we learn differently. Some of us may just not get it, but it may not impact your life and it may actually help. Maybe they don't go to college and they follow their passions instead of racking up debt, let's say, if they had to pay for their own college. Hopefully that hits home and helps somebody some way. That's what I think his book does for me. It's very inspirational. I literally want to be more like the guy. I would like to have some of the intuition he has to help people when he's coaching them and meeting with them. It sounds great. So now we're to chapter three, Blind to His Talents. Over the years, I've been a huge advocate for people to tell the world about their dreams or aspirations. It's like letting a cat out of the bag, and once the secret is released, there's no chance of stuffing it back into the bag. I think what you do there is when you do that, you find out who's on your side and who's not. And if they're not, you don't talk to them about that anymore, and you find more people who are on your side, who will encourage you, who will check up on you. And these days... With the internet and Facebook groups, hopefully you can find a lot of that, a lot of support. This reminds me, I am all about, I think I want to have two or three of these, people I check in with each day. People I know that are checking in with me. Accountability partners, mentors, saying, hey, what you up to? What are you working on? Hey, can I help you with something? All right, we're in chapter three. Once again... Thinking big doesn't help. You have to believe big. That's where I, I would say that you have to believe enough or hope enough to take some action and to keep taking that action because that's how you're going to achieve something. Putting the passion to sleep, it never ceases to amaze me how millions of people can harbor powerful dreams and never look for ways to bring those dreams to fruition because they simply do not believe in themselves. It saddens me to see people believe in their God without question and yet walk the earth never believing in themselves. And actually, I just had a, a thought back to the other one when he said this. That for me, when I share thoughts with people, that's pointed out in the book, Will It Fly? I'm reading right now, I'm partway through it, and Will It Fly is a book that will help you kind of figure out if you should be starting a new project or a new company can't believe I'm blanking on the guy's name. He was a guest speaker at Shailene Johnson's conference, so we saw him a couple weeks back. So will it fly? 
And he says this, share these ideas to see if people support them or if they think they're a good idea. And I've been doing that more and more going, oh, yeah, I, w I want some, let's say, external motivation even of should I be doing this? Am I off basis here? Am I just kind of believing my own thing without getting the buy-in from other people? So if I hear somebody's into golf, which I did at a restaurant, hey, I said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. He goes, oh, it's a great idea. At the Mastermind last week, did the same thing. People were like, oh, it's a great idea. You should do that. Now, for me, I keep thinking, hey, maybe I need to partner with some people, definitely for some of the work I already have. But it's good to get that feedback. I think that's what happens when you share things. They'll kind of help validate. Should you be doing this? Should you not? Some people, once again, you have to ignore. I I knew that when I talked to my dad, I'd kind of bring up things even though I knew better. He'd be like, you should focus on your job or focus on your family, not be doing all this other stuff. So some people, if you already know that, don't go there with your ideas if you know they beat them down. Yet what I think you'll find, if you go to mentors or more successful people, they're going to encourage you. They're going to realize that following your passions and doing some of these things are going to get you ahead. That breaking out from the norm, from what's normally people are doing, going to a 9-to-5 job, is kind of the key to success and happiness for so many people. Read The Millionaire Next Door and The Millionaire's Mind. You'll see that they say over and over again, small business owners, they often are the millionaires. Let's scroll down for some more. Once again, we're in Chapter 3. Two more quotes here in Chapter 3. I call it taking space. To put it into effect, you need to step away from all the tasks and busyness of life and spend time alone. Taking space is about your relationship with yourself, but it affects all areas of your life. Work and the passion or lack of passion you have for it is closely tied to your relationship with yourself. So improving your relationship with yourself will lead you to a better understanding and clarity around your work. That's the challenge for me is taking space of, I guess, just quiet time. Now, I try to do a little meditation early and late, usually in bed, which might end up helping me go to sleep. But when it comes to taking space of not listening to a podcast or taking in knowledge, that for me is a challenge at times. But what I do find is when I'm out, let's say, homesteading or farming, those are times I definitely try to disconnect and just be there, be present, kind of taking that space. My wife, who's more of an introvert, is much better about knowing that, requesting that, and making sure she does that for herself. I'm a lot, mostly an extrovert. so It's funny, I just don't think about that. If I'm by myself, I'm doing something. I'm out there working, working out. It's something in that realm. So I'm not sure where you fit into that. But he's very convinced that you need to step away from all the tasks and busyness of life and spend time alone. I guess in some regards, since I don't go to a job 9 to 5, maybe I kind of have a lot of that anyway. I would guess when I used to commute that that would be some time alone in the car. Although I remember doing 2,000 minutes a month on the phone, once again talking. So maybe this applies more to introverts, I mean more to yeah, introverts and extroverts. Just take note and say, hey, should you spend some time? Should you dedicate some time? I would say from the many, many books I've read all across the spectrum that time to calm your mind, meditation of some kind or another, is a great thing to do. That's something my wife said when we were out there uh, meeting at Ty Lopez's house about a month or two ago. Someone's like, oh, I can't meditate. And she brought the tip that we had heard that says so often when people try to meditate, they have thoughts come in. She goes, 
Just let that thought be like in a river and have it just float away. So if you say, hey, I'm not good at meditating, realize nobody at first, I think, is. Especially if you have lots of ideas. I figure I'm an idea guy, or I think I am. So I always come with ideas. When I go to meditate, if I have an idea, I just catch, oh, I'm thinking about something, and go back to nothing. One thing I often do is think of a white, blank piece of paper. And that can really help me keep thoughts out. Now, how often do I start drawing something on this imaginary piece of paper? I do, but then I go, oh, nope, it's time for a white one. So try some different techniques. Google that. Check out some books on meditation. Just do five or ten minutes a day. They say twice a day is great. If you can do five and five or ten and ten, it's better than 20 all at one time. Check it out. Let me know. The last quote I think here for Chapter 3 is, The only thing that's for sure is that the only way to find out if we can make a living from our passion is to actually do it. Do it consistently and look for ways to integrate earning and income from our work. So one consistently. Another key here is look for ways. Once again, I bet somebody else is doing it. You know the biggest YouTubers that make money off YouTube? They record themselves playing video games. Other people are making money by getting products and unboxing them as in opening them up. Might be toys with kids. It is crazy with the internet and let's say on Facebook 1.5 or 1.8 billion people. Little niches can get you a lot of attention and then you just have to figure out and learn how to monetize it. I'm spending quite a bit of time and effort right now understanding Facebook advertising. I kind of kept thinking about it for years and it seems like, oh, I missed the boat. Well, it's still evidently a pretty good return, especially if you're going to consumers directly, which in reality all of us are at some level. Now, maybe really, really big business isn't. There's so many opportunities. It's amazing what people are doing and making money. I mean, people figure out how to make millions of dollars a year recording themselves playing video games and putting them out there. All right, chapter four is authenticity sells the deal. Fear is the assassin of dreams. So authenticity sells the deal. Fear is the assassin of dreams. Whenever we bring a partner into our business, there's a strong possibility we'll have the following realizations. We find out the partner is not as great as we thought. We find out that we can do more than we thought. Now, I, I guess maybe I feel lucky I have two partners in two different businesses and they carry a lot of the weight. So I've not had that kind of, I guess, bad luck or bad taste in my mouth. But he points out here where some people are kind of betting the betting the whole thing on a partner. And mm, I guess you can see, and I've read books where they say you start trying to bring in partners or employees and handing things off when that's not their core competency, let's say. And you're not very good at teaching them that. And you're not focusing on your strengths. So I'm sure there's plenty of examples, and maybe you have some, where partners come into businesses and they rip you off. I guess my dad at one point had an employer or partner that ripped him off and never again would he go that route. So I, I don't know. I'm a big believer in having partners. I would like to have more partners in more business ventures because that's how I think we have more ideas, better ideas, bounce them off people. So more of chapter four here. Scared of the truth inside each person resides a core that remains unchanged by the opinions and beliefs of others. Experience has shown me that we all know what's inside. However, we're often too scared to face that truth and be fully authentic with it. 
but we must tap into this core to find our power in the world. The more logical, mind-driven of us may think this is airy-fairy, but I promise you, we each have an internal guidance system. <laughs> I forget what book am I listening to with my wife and she actually bought the book. We want to talk about airy-fairy. I'm not sure it's really airy-fairy, but it's quantum physics and a lot of stuff called um, a happy pocket full of money. So much of the stuff, I guess, a lot of people would say I'm airy-fairy and some of the stuff I believe in and what we really control and can't control in our lives, our experiences, our opportunities. So I'm glad he brought that up because that made me remember that. He says, but we must tap into this core to find out our power in the world. And he once again says to be fully authentic with it. Like what's in your core? What do you feel like, really feel like you should be doing? Who should you be helping? Who should you be giving back to? Is it music? Do you give people something through music? I think we all get a heck of a great feeling and reward by giving something. Advice, opportunities. For me, even doing Kiva loans, it feels great to be knowing I'm loaning people money to help them in their ventures that I will never meet. And that's great. All right, he says here... Living in your head, in my short ebook, Dead Man Walking, I discuss the difference between mindset and soul set. My experience has proven that our intellect is a powerful ability, but it can also be a crutch. Continuing right on to the next one. The intuitive mind is a sacred gift, and the rational, rational mind is a faithful servant. We have created a society that honors the servant and has forgotten the gift. And that quotes by Albert Einstein. We have created a society that honors the servant and has forgotten the gift. And he says the mind is a faithful servant. The intuitive mind is a sacred gift. So he hits really hard over and over again, Philip McKernan does, on intuition. That we really should start trusting it. And seeing, if we go with our gut, and kind of keeping records of it. That's something I can come back to doing a daily brain dump that Shailene Johnson says. Write something down. Find out, hey, I trusted my intuition here. Oh, I had this feeling. I trusted it. It worked out. It didn't work out. Somewhere in here he quotes, I guess it has to do with intuition, and he's about 80% correct now. He pretty much knows 80% of the time if he goes with something with his gut feeling, he, it works out. But once again, it comes from practice and realizing, hey, I'm getting used to this. I'm kind of... Uh, maybe airy fairy, but I'm gonna go ahead and just try it. I, something tells me to try this. I mean, I definitely have done that recently a lot, believing that I should be around people that are above me, that will encourage me, that I will will, will kind of suck me up, be mentors. I've been whole hog this past year or two. Spent a lot of time and money investing, and hey, I've been encouraged. I'm reading a lot more. I can't believe I'm reading four or five books at one time. Lots of people suggested doing that, and I'm like, no, 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 I like to read one at a time, and now I'm like, oh, i got to read 10% of each of these. Let's kind of do this each day. It It is fun, and it's making making it, making it easier for me to make connections because I'm reading little bits and pieces each day. I'm like, oh, that kind of intertwines with that, and oh, yeah, marketing, and then we have persuasion, how those tie together and the, the things that are similar there because marketing really is trying to persuade somebody to take a different action, they say. 
All right, the next little bit here. Reconnecting to intuition is one of the most powerful things we can do to, to promote positive change in our lives. We start neglecting it the moment someone tells us we're wrong as a child. And I can relate that in my life back to my wife is saying that when it comes to unschooling, really schools kind of have to squeeze kids down and have them do certain things because they have so many students they can't let students learn through what they're interested in. They have to have them read the same books and cover the same subjects so often. Philip says, we start neglecting this once again the moment someone tells us we're wrong as a child. I mean, I catch myself going, whoa, don't tell the kid they're wrong or this, that, and the other. Don't try to shut them down. You want them to have that confidence, I think. The next one, strong emotional blocks to intuition. Some of the emotions we experience act as a powerful detractors of our intuition. For example, fear drives people into their heads and away from what they know is right in their soul. Wow. That's one thing I'd like to challenge myself when I have fear of something. I want to double-check that and go, should I really be afraid of that? Should I be feeling this emotion of fear? Can I train to make sure I take action to overcome that? That's what I do with my oldest son. Like the fastest way to figure that out is to take action. Whether it's snow tubing like we did this past week or something else. The sooner you take that action or get back on that horse or get back on that tube, the quicker that fear which is in your mind dissipates. Next, he says, but honoring our own truth, following our intuition, and doing exactly what's right for our personal journey isn't clever. It's courageous. Doing what we know is right in our core takes enormous courage. It means overcoming our fear and anger. It means deeply trusting ourselves. I like that. You want to be courageous? Follow your own journey, your own calling, let's say. I like this quote he had near Oliver Manalees, maybe. I totally regret, regret listening to my gut, said no one ever. I totally regret listening to my gut, said no one ever. <laughs> All right, we're on to chapter five here. From money magnet to children's champion, if you're facing the right decision, all you need to do is walk. He says, follow my own approach to authenticity, intuition, and soul set. I asked Trina to question every aspect of her life, including the brand she was developing. This process took several months. In the early days, Trina was fully on board with her new brand and thought she was on the best business path for her. Over time, a different picture began to develop. So he basically has different stories in here and different people's journeys he explains to you so you can take stuff out of there. Quite right. It, it's often easier to stay on the current course that you think logically is clear as opposed to changing course based on a feeling that often has no clear logical direction. This is where the trust you have in yourself comes from. That's something you got to test once again, over and over again. Maybe you start with some small thoughts you have. Well, oh, I shouldn't do that. Or, oh, I should try this. Oh, yes, I should go ahead and try to follow my passion or try to turn my passion into a hobby or get back into that hobby I was so passionate about. Maybe I could be a coach now instead of actually playing. 
So in that regard, just start taking those steps and testing yourself, testing your intuition, hearing it a little more. Philip says, as humans, we talk a lot about trusting others. While I believe that, while I believe the most important person to learn to trust is you. That's deep. I agree. Philip says the change in the confidence of these young people was a bigger reward than she could imagine. Once again, a story. He gives you lots of stories here that you can kind of relate to and remember, and hopefully apply. Like, oh, how does that apply to my life? Am I doing something similar? Philip says, what do I really want? That's one of the most powerful questions we can possibly ask ourselves. It's also one few, one few consultants ever ask since their main focus is to take what you bring them and then multiply it by 2, 3, 5, or 10. That's fine, but at what cost? What is the trade-off? What is the social invoice? So I like that. And this this is one I've done for myself and continue to do. What do I really want? What do I want my day to be like? What do I want my life to be like? What do I want my relationships to be like? What do I really want? I, I think that's a tough one for some of us. What do I really want? Do I really want that job? Do I really want that promotion? I don't know. Do I really want to be free, to have more free time? Do I really want to live somewhere else? There's so many things I can apply to. It's a good thing to ask for all the different areas of your life. Really write it out. Think about it. Take the time to do that. You could stop right now and write down on a notepad, what do I really want? Or pause and just think for a while. That's what I did when I was reading. I was like, oh, that's a good one right there. I better stop and just spend some time. Write that down. Realize I'm going to journal on that. Next one in here, I have a different perspective on goals. I believe a goal is usually just an attachment made official. When we set a goal, it's as though we're officially saying to the world, here's my attachment and I intend to do whatever it takes to achieve the object of my attachment. Hmm. He says, to those who say they cannot make a living doing something they love, I have a one-word response. Bullshit. Once you become blinded by attachments, you become deaf to your heart. That's one thing in that podcast on the Mastermind Talks. He does cuss a few times. <laughs> Evidently, that's the way uh, he says the Irish upbringing. Kind of normal for him, he said. Oh, I love over there. He's talking about, he says, if you have a challenge in a relationship with somebody, he goes, hey, what, what, what should they do? What should they give to this to kind of make this better? And people write down, oh, they should do this for me. And then he says, are you doing that for them? Are you giving them what you expect them to give you? I thought that was pretty deep. One guy that he, he asked several people live, they, oh, yes, yes, I am doing all that. But, man, I could think of that for me. and like, well, am I giving, let's say, the people I'm having challenges with in relationships what I expect them to give me back? Let's say an apology or something else. That That was pretty powerful. I really think that can help a lot of us. All right, he says, it's simple. Love yourself and do what makes you happy, and you'll be more likely to find someone attracted to that energy. Once again, I think if you're sharing that your own energy with yourself of following your passions, or let's say, I like this new thing I heard today, success energy, it just it attracts like attracts like. So put yourself in that right positive energy, let's say, or that right state of mind that you're excited about what you're doing. 
and you're probably going to attract more people like that as long as you're sharing. You're out there, let's say, on social media, somewhere, talking about what you really care to talk about, sharing thoughts about that, sharing your insights, sharing your, let's say, once again, your challenges, things you've overcome. There's over 1 billion people, probably over 1.5 billion people on Facebook. Many a niche can be filled. Oh, I like this little short one. It's generally the things we don't do that haunt us forever. You don't lay there and think, oh, yeah, it's so great. You think, oh, I could have done this. I should have done that. I should have started earlier. I would never beat yourself up for not starting earlier. I look back and say, man, I should have quit my full-time job sooner and dedicate more time to Riptide hosting sooner. But, hey, at least I did it. At least I took those chances. I've started those businesses. I think even if you wait until you're 40, 50, 60, realize quite a few people that you would think are famous or have done really well started businesses much later in life than you would assume. Sometimes success takes a while. It takes a lot of failure, a lot of other things first before you go, hey, I should try that. I should start McDonald's. I should start KFC. What, you're 40, you're 50, you're 60 years old? That's how old many of these people were before they had these big successes. They finally stepped out or tried enough things to get there. Philip says, I agree that you can't change other people, but if you set out to change yourself and then invite others to come along, changing others is inevitable. People follow examples. And that makes me think of the relationship um, retreat my wife and I go to a couple times a year. Their big thing is single or half of the relationship, half of the, one couple or what one person of the couple can come. And make changes in a relationship, once again, by changing themselves. And they have story after story where people say, yeah, I started changing. They started saying, hey, what are you doing? Hey, let me. can I check that out with you? Because they see the person change. They go, wow, this is some powerful information there, powerful knowledge. He says, the problem is that most people travel to get away from themselves, their lives, and their work. Laura and other self-aware people travel to be with themselves. This reminds me, Ty Lopez quoting Joel Salatin of saying, if you have to take vacations from your work, then you're doing the wrong kind of work. So some people live to make money to take vacations. Other people love their work enough that they don't necessarily need to take a vacation to say that's a happy part of their life. <laughs> I can tell you, from, probably drives my wife nuts. But I like to take my microphone for podcasting on vacations. I'm even more inspired for some reason. I did that when I went to Winter or up past Winter Park to the YMCA this past week. And I actually did record a little part of my um, intro for my other podcast and got that released. I, I did this probably two or three years ago. I took the mic down to Florida with us and recorded some podcast shows. I thought it was so cool. Find something like that. What do you still want to do when you're on vacation? Are there things you're still interested in? Things you want to check out and learn about? Maybe challenge yourself next vacation. What what would you do in your free time? What would you read about? Do you read novels that maybe you should write your own novel? I don't know. I'm trying to think what other people do on vacations. I know I'm kind of nutty in that regard. Oh, this is interesting. Since I have kids, I can relate. And a wife, I should say. Adding children to the mix often presents another life-altering shift in self-identification. While children are a beautiful gift... And we learn so much from them. There's no doubt that many parents and mothers in particular 
radically alter their self-identification once children enter the picture. This happens because your life is suddenly focused more on what you do as opposed to who you are. I've seen this in clients enough times to know this is a common issue. And, and I can tell you, I saw that with my wife, and I kind of see it in other friends who are mothers. Man, it, it, it's challenging for them to stick with their own, let's say, goals. Because these kids demand and demand and quiz for so much attention and help and doing things. And I can say... I guess there's one of my friends that's a dad is kind of like that, but so many of the other dads, we're still kind of like princes. We're in our 30s, 40s, and 50s, and we're still kind of out trying to build our own kingdom, let's say, advance our own careers or something like that. So we're not as tied to the kids, I guess. And my thought is the kids watch you, so the more you can do that you want them to be like, the better. For me, I love having the homestead and the farm. They can see this. They can say, oh, we're getting eggs. Can we learn how to sell eggs? Yes. Hey, Dad's always out there doing something, building something, working with us, building us something. That's kind of how I, I guess, justify what I do. All right, back to what Philip says in the book. Facing problems that appear unrelated to a focus issue is often the best way to shine a light on the challenges we've already identified. Life can be complicated. That's why a series of small revelations can create the lasting and sustainable change that tackling a major challenge cannot. And this makes me think of small steps, small steps every day. It's what I'm working on, taking some small steps to get ahead, small steps to advance a project. The small steps instead of thinking, oh, I'm going to attack something in this big major project or big major part of something. No, break things down to little bitty things. Little bitty, little bitty things you want to change in relationship, little bitty things you can change, little bitty steps you can take each and every day for a larger project. That's what kind of motivates me lately. It really has worked from Shailene Johnson telling us to do that every day, three steps a day. Here's a good one. The bottom line is that real change depends on intense and sometimes painful self-reflection. He mentions how people really have to, probably with his help sometimes, reflect kind of take an accounting of where they're at in their life in these different areas to go, wow, this isn't working out like I kind of keep telling myself it is. Working this job to make this extra money and all this extra time isn't really paying off for my family like I think it is, like I keep telling myself it is. I'm just going to pick out a couple more of them here. My main point here, he says, is that the truth will set you free and following a false truth will make you a prisoner of your own life Worse yet, you'll be condemned to living a life behind someone else's mask. Oh, this is pretty good. Let's cover the four types of beliefs he talks about. The first one he mentions is our adopted beliefs. These are the beliefs we, that we take from on from others. The most common source of these types of beliefs come from our parents. Religion is one such belief that we don't often question. The second, limiting beliefs. These are the ones that are more commonly talked about when it comes to personal growth and when they are relatively easy to uncover. An example of a limiting belief when it comes to money would be money is evil. These beliefs hold us back and often create conscious self-sabotage. Number three, debilitating beliefs. I refer to these beliefs as the stealth bombers. They elude our consciousness but play out nonetheless. 
They are the ones we are unaware of, which makes them even more dangerous. The fourth and final type of belief are true beliefs. These are the truths we truly stand for, the ones that come from our being, that we cannot be talk, talked or bought out of. The issue with our true beliefs is that we sometimes get them mixed up with the others. This leads us to tell ourselves that we believe something, when in actual fact, we don't. So adopted beliefs, limiting beliefs, debilitating beliefs, and our true beliefs. Obviously, we want to peel back the onion of our life and get back to what our true beliefs are. Here's a great question he asked somebody that I think we can all ask ourselves. He says, when I pose the simple question, what's one thing you'd have a hard time speaking about because you'd have trouble holding back tears? That's what somebody um, basically he told her she should be speaking about and this lady goes on to say she knew immediately it's so simple the world would be better if we shared the messages that were simple but not easy what's one thing you'd have a hard time speaking about because you'd have trouble holding back tears I'd say what can you share from your heart what can you do what's really touching that really touched your life that's where I mentioned my brother passing away. I try to take positives from that, but man, that, losing your father, or losing my father, I should say, this past year, things like that, really tough. Think about that. Some things you can really share and help other people with. Man, I just like some of these quotes. I just can't stop. Okay, Philip says, A lot of people go through life focused on finding out what people want and then finding ways to deliver it. The great fallacy of this of that approach is that people don't always know what they want from us. To be honest, we often love it when people give us something we didn't expect, or more than we expect. And then he has a Steve Jobs quote, People don't know what they want until you give it to them. That's where you might be delivering one thing or talking about one thing. But if you come back and share from your passion, from your heart... You're probably giving them a lot more than they bargained for and a lot more than they now realize, wow, that's what I want to know. That's how I want to get to know you. Let's say on a deeper level. Because when you're vulnerable with somebody, they're much more likely to come back that way. That's where you can think they're sharing what you're excited about. Then you can ask them, hey, what are you into? What have you been learning about? I just It helps me make so many connections. It's not, I just always like to tell people, share ideas. Share your thoughts with people. Share what you're into. Share what you're questioning. Oh, here's a good quote I never put on Instagram either. I urge you to take action without waiting for the right or a better time. Just do the thing you're dreaming of and see the difference you'll make in the world. In the absence of clarity, take action. Actually, I think I put that last little one. In absence of clarity, in the absence of clarity, take action. I think that we did put that on Instagram. Wow. So don't wait. All we have is now anyway. Do it now. Because what you do now will change tomorrow. It'll change the next day. Especially as you keep taking action. It'll open more doors. I swear it will. A great short short quote here. And our ability to give lies our greatest opportunity to grow. Here he asked you to answer some questions in a journal. And one of these reminds me of when I was at Shailene Johnson's Smart Success. The guy is kind of morbid, but he's thinking, oh, what what would you like to do or have accomplished or 
when you passed away, like what goes in your tombstone. All right, so let's get into these questions. You can maybe write these down as well. <clears throat> Do you carry shame or regrets? List them and ask how they're holding you back. Do you give too much of yourself to your kids or others? What passion have you put aside in the pursuit of profits? How much has is money controlling your life? If you had to give one last speech before you die, what would it be about? What do you need to let go of in order to simplify your life? That's where I think I may have written this down. Like, what would I be about? We all take some chances. Go out there and do live your passion. If I had to give that one speech, like, go out there and have fun. Really, have fun. Challenge yourself, have fun, follow your passions, whichever they are. Follow what may seem crazy and weird to your parents. They're like, uh, don't do that. No, really do that. Do some of those things. Especially if you think you're you're held back because of things you learn from teachers or parents. Or what society would it think you should do. That you got a college degree, so you should get some kind of job in that degree or in that profession. Eh, screw it. Do what you feel like doing, at least on the side. You can always do stuff on the side, and if it takes off, then you can put more and more effort into it and quit the other job, I'd say. Here we are back to some feeling thoughts. In sum, I don't want to know what you think, but you can tell me how you feel all day long. It's how we feel about things that's our truth, and people who bring that level of intuition to their, to their relationship conversation will find themselves far more connected to those relationships. So it's not what you're thinking, it's what you're feeling. I, I can probably speak for a lot of guys. I'm like, oh, I don't really feel much about that or this. Because I'm probably always thinking. I'm most always thinking. And my words to describe feelings are so bland, I guess. I'm like, oh, what do you think about that? Or what do you feel? Oh, I feel okay about that. So it's something I think that can improve us. Improve our relationships, as he says here, by being better at expressing that. Not what I'm thinking, but what I'm feeling. How do I feel about that? And relate that back to your intuition. And kind of that's why I think your feelings can tie into your intuition somewhat there. Oh, I remember this one now. Philip says, of course, there's nothing wrong with working hard, but show me a workaholic and I'll show you a person running from something. And I kind of think about that often. I'm like, oh man, I know a couple of, couple of people that might be workaholics. What are they running from? Could I ever quiz them enough? in some polite way to figure that out. What, are you running from something? Are you running from your passions and your dreams? You're trying to justify it by working so much, making extra money? Who knows, but it might be there. Maybe it's something that applies to yourself. Or think back to a time when you did work a lot. Where you're running from something. Where you're just occupying your time instead of investing it where you know you should have or really wanted to be doing. Or where you're just following, let's say, the rest of the people in your company. That's kind of what I did back in the day. I used to laugh at them, like, hey, why are you guys working so much? Six months later, I was one of the guys working so much instead of doing all the fun stuff I used to do. This is an interesting little tidbit, he says. Often the speed someone answers a question is more telling than the actual answer. It's impossible to respond as fast as John did unless the answer is something that weighs heavily on the mind. <clears throat> It might be something if you're having conversations, if somebody fires right back, that's probably on the top of their mind. Or they knew to go there when you first started asking the question. They didn't even have to ponder it or take the time to understand it. So how quickly someone answers might tell you more than the actual answer itself. 
something here health-related. Philip says, over the years I've worked with a number of people who whose undiagnosed mystery illnesses have disappeared once they faced their truth and began living a more aligned life. Man, maybe you're stressed by doing what you're doing instead of following something you really care about. Or just the fact that you're, let's say, working in a job five days a week that you really don't like. That's probably stressful at some levels. So some of those undiagnosed mystery illnesses just have disappeared. Two more great ones here. We give ourselves what we feel we deserve, and our past has created the present, and our present is creating the future. To follow up with another kind of deep one, the ultimate destination of fear is regret. <laughs> so all three of those, we give ourselves what we feel we deserve, or we probably allow ourselves to have what we feel we deserve in many cases. Our past has created the present, and our present is creating our future. That makes me tell you, hey, take some action right now in the now. That's all we have is now. And now changes the next now tomorrow and the next now the next hour. The ultimate destination of fear is regret. Because if your fear keeps you from doing something, from taking an action, eventually you will regret not taking that action. All right, I've skipped quite a few, but the last quote I have is, at least here is noted, all of which brings me back to this book's central contention. Authentic self-awareness helps people figure out who they really are and who they want to be. Without that, people do not even have the knowledge they need to get real about what, to get real about why they do the things they do. Self-awareness, it's key. So I hope you like this book, uh, the quotes, you get something out of this. Maybe you can pick up the book, maybe check him out. Philip McKernan, M-C-K-E-R-N-A-N. I believe it's philipmckernan.com. You can check the show notes for that. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it with the Kindle. I have all these notes. I can just reread my notes if I don't want to reread the whole book or reread the highlights I took. And once again, other books that I would highly recommend if you're into social media, want to understand what's going on there. My next little thing here, I highlighted 149 highlighted passages for Jab, 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 Right Hook, How to Tell Your Story in a Noisy Social World by Gary Vaynerchuk. V-A-Y-N-E-R-C-H-U-K. He also has a newer book out, the Ask Gary V book, based off of his YouTube show, which you can also check out. It's Ask Gary V. So this is Kinch with Your Business Podcast, really hoping you find your own freedom. That was the name of the podcast, Your Freedom Podcast, because I really want you to be free as free as you're willing to be by pursuing some of your own thoughts and dreams and passions. And that's where this book by Philip McKernan really lined up. Like he left all this, all the stuff he was doing in real estate, maybe not everything he did in real estate, but realized that wasn't his life passion. And once again, if you check out that podcast, check the show notes once again, it's amazing. The story, what it really took, how many little hints and clues for him to go, oh yeah, maybe I should like learn how to speak and help people. It's amazing. So follow some different things that just kind of coincidences that show up in your life or what your intuitions point you toward. Hey, it can only help you figure out if your intuition is correct or not correct. Enjoy.